Do me a big favor. I'm glad to be here. How about you? Give me some love. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hey, um, here's the deal. We're going to have a bunch of people watching it online this week, and you'll know why later after I tell you about the subject of today. But let's welcome everybody else who's watching in online right now, too. We're fired up that you're here with us. Hey, as you can tell, uh, we are in a series called The Heartbreak Hotel, and we've been using this, uh, using the king of rock and roll, really, as kind of a springboard into this stuff, and, and I'm loving this so much that maybe we're going to do it again sometime just to hear this Elvis song over and over again, but it just had a blast. We actually um, are doing a series that is specifically designed for relationships. Uh, we've kind of said this all throughout the series, that if we can help people avoid checking into the Heartbreak Hotel, then that's a win. Uh, we're winning if people stop going to this place called the Heartbreak Hotel. And the truth of the matter is that we've actually heard people throughout these last couple weeks say, thank you so much. I mean, those simple action steps that we've taken these last two weeks have just been life-giving for some. And so I just want to say thanks. Thanks for sticking in. Thanks for hanging out with us as we've really used this message series to strengthen the marriages in our church, to strengthen us as we look for spouses maybe one day. And we actually launched uh, with a message towards singles on week one. We said there's four qualities that if you're going to be in the hunt for somebody else, if you're going to be looking for a spouse someday or, or maybe you're going, who, who do I look for? Or what are the qualities that I should develop in my own life? What do you look for? And so we kind of sprung board the series by saying, if you're looking for somebody, you got to look for somebody with godly character. This has got to be a top priority. If you want to avoid checking into the Heartbreak Hotel, who do you look for? Somebody with godly character, somebody who has growing trust. Someone who, that, that if you share your insecurities with, they don't make fun of, you know, push you down. They actually build trust in your life, and you can continue to share more and more with them. We said, not only godly character, growing trust, but higher standards. So today, boy, if you want to know who to look for in a dating relationship, what quality to develop in yourself to make yourself attractive to somebody else, raise the standard. Don't lower the standard. Raise them up. And then we said the last one is encouragement. It said if you can find a relationship that just breeds encouragement, then you're winning. You're absolutely winning. You found a winner if you got those four. Now, I'm not saying that anybody has to be all four right away or always be, but these are the qualities to look for. Then last week, we shared a message that hopefully got real practical. We, we said we got we to gotta give people almost like a quick dose of how to improve their marriage like leaving here in the room last Sunday. How can you leave here in a better spot than when you came in? And the truth of the matter is, I think for some of us, we maybe have listened to that message and go, that's what I did last week. Now I'm done, what do you got for me this week? And I would say this, no, 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 no. What I said last week applies for this week too. And it actually applies for next month and the month after next, the next season, this summer, you can still do what we talked about last week, actually even next year. Just so you know, your spouse would not mind it if you still apply. Now, what are the things that we talked about? We literally said these three simple statements to improve your relationship. We said, if you think something good, say it. For heaven's sakes, if something good comes to your brain about your spouse, say it. Just say it. Text it. Email. Spray it somehow to them to let them know that you are wild about them. We saw that happen with the guy and the woman that we were introduced to in week one in the book of Song of Solomon. We said, this guy just, I mean, he's a loose cannon. Every time he thinks something good about his significant other, he just says it. He looks her up and down, you know, a handful of times and just tells her what he, if you think something special, you want to know what he did? He did it. 
If you thought something special, just do it. And we said, man, that would make your marriage better today. Today. If you literally, when you thought something special about your significant other, you didn't hold on to that blessing. You shared it. And if you thought something special that you would want to do with them, you didn't say, oh, someday we'll do that. Someday I'll actually, you know, take a shower and take her out on a date, you know. You actually did it. You put action into your relationship. And then we said, if you want something different, if you want something different for your marriage, then just be it. Be it. And we saw this guy kind of show in their relationship and this, this woman that we were introduced to in the scriptures say, you know what, there's some higher standards. And if I want something different in my marriage, then I just am going to be it. I'm gonna allow God to convict me and I'm gonna move forward in boldness and I'm gonna become something different. Now today, just so you know, I wanna talk about a subject that is relevant to all of us in some capacity. The topic is sex, just so you know, and I know some of you are thinking, man, I was hoping the band would play a song this week, and the truth is the only songs that we could come up with were songs like, I'm too sexy for my shirt. And I just thought, maybe that's not going to really play out too well with a crowd like this. I mean, and then, and then Ryan pitched me ideas, saying, what about ACDCs? And you shook me on. And I was like, I don't know if that's a good idea either. And then we just said, well, maybe a little bit of Marvin Gaye. Let's get it on. And, and then we just said, you know, we're just shutting it down. You know, the sex week, shutting it down, no music needed. We'll just dive in. But the truth is, the truth is, I think a lot of us can come into a message like this. And we know what it's like have baggage. And we can laugh it off, but statistics would show that a lot of us have a lot of stuff in our life, past, or maybe we're working through present, that maybe raise up some insecurities and some pain and some hurt. And so I wanted to, before we dive into any content today, remind you of some of the very truths of, of how we started this church, kind of the, the, the drive behind what we do here is we want to create a place where it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, or what's been done to you. You're welcome here. You're welcome to look for God here. It's a safe place. And so we're going to talk about sex, and, and, uh, and we're not going to have Ryan stripping off like I'm too sexy for my shirt, and I, maybe that's a disappointment for some of you in the room, but... We want to look at this message in a way that hopefully brings so much hope and so much, uh, I don't know if that's me or somebody else, um, so much just joy to, to your life and specifically around this area of sex in, in your life. Now, uh, if you're taking notes, what I want to do is look at four qualities of God-honoring sex, okay? Four qualities of God-honoring sex. How do we honor God with our sex life? And before we dive in, let me just do another caveat on this one. Some of you just went like, time out. Why are you bringing God into the mix of this thing? Like God and sex, could there be polar opposites? And the truth is, no. He's the creator of it. He created it, just so you know, so that you could reproduce, so that you could build intimacy, and for heaven's sakes, that you could have a lot of fun, okay? These are three reasons why God gave you this special gift, and so if you want to know why we're having a conversation about sex in church, I mean, seriously, in church? It's because God created it. He designed it. He meant it to be beautiful, and he gave us this amazing gift of lovemaking for a variety of different reasons. Now, again, I want to do a message that is God-honoring for this subject of sex. So if you want to know what the four qualities of God-honoring sex is, number one, and now you're like, I'm taking notes today, baby, is number one is God-honoring sex starts before the bedroom, okay? God-honoring sex starts before 
the bedroom. Now, uh, for most guys in the room, you're going like, what the heck? That just sounds like you're from Mars, dude. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it'd be awesome if we could start in the kitchen. You know, like, just God-honoring sex. It could start anywhere. And here's, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. God-honoring sex, it starts when you serve and when you love and when you give yourself sacrificially, when you honor and you make time to invest in your relationship. That's what I mean by this. God-honoring sex starts way before the bedroom, way before the bedroom. Again, I know guys maybe um, have a little disadvantage of this because we are literally like an on and off switch. I mean, just you could be watching you know, basketball this afternoon and be like, basketball, sex, you know, just on. You know, like dinner time, sex. It's just kind of, we're just wired. I've heard it say that we're kind of like microwaves. Women are like crock pots. And, and the truth is, again, guys, <laughs> Guys can turn anything, anything, into a sexual on-ramp. You know, imagine the wife, it says to her husband, you know, it's getting colder out, you know, I don't know why, 71 day, 30 the next day. She says, hey, hubby, will you turn up the thermostat? It's cold in here. And he could go, baby, I'll heat you up. You know, like, just, he can just flip it on. It's just like an instant switch. Or like, hey, will you check the oven? You know, we got something in the oven. He goes, I'll check your oven. And she's just like, what? And, and women are like, you are just all you think about. And, and guys are going, yeah, it's hard for me to really grapple with this idea that it starts way before the bedroom. But the truth is, the truth is, if you want to have God-honoring sex, there's this idea that you build into one another, and the couple that we're going to look at today is literally on their honeymoon. They're on their honeymoon. And you're going to find out that he starts out by not diving into, like, you know, guns blazing. He showers her with special compliments. He looks her up and down, and he starts way before the physical act of Love making even starts. Listen to what it says in Song of Solomon, uh, chapter four, verses one and two. He says, you're beautiful, my darling. He says, you're beautiful beyond words. Love that. Just steal that one and tell your wife that this, you know, tonight. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair falls in waves. It's like a flock of goats. I don't know if I'm using that on Carrie. Like, your hair reminds me of, like, billy goats, baby. Like, but he says, your hair is just makes me melt, makes me weak in the knees. It says, it's down from the slopes of Gilead. He says, verse 2, your teeth are as white as sheep, recently shorn and freshly washed. He's like, you got good breath, too. Your smile is flawless. Each tooth is matched with its twin. And what this guy is doing, simply, it's a sunny moon. He's building intimacy. He's starting before the bedroom. He's saying, you know what? I'm just not going to run in and go like all crazy on you. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to take care of you emotionally before I pursue you sexually. I'm going to go after you in a God-honoring way. And how do you do that, friends? You start before the bedroom. And so for some of us, we're going to say this. We're going to go, you know what? Tonight, instead of me pursuing you right into the bedroom, I'm going to take care of the house. I'm going to clean up. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to get the girls or the boys ready for bed. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to take care of you in some way that you know that your state emotionally is just as important to me physically. I want to take care. I want to serve you. I want to honor you. Some of you are going like, well, give me some ideas. I actually made a list of six ways that you could actually fill your relationship up prior to getting into the bedroom, okay? Some of you are like, well, that's worthless. But some of you are gonna be like, man, what are they? Some of you could send a text message of encouragement. And that will start something well before the bedroom that pays off big because what you're doing 
is you're building each other up emotionally, and that counts more than we give it credit for. Others of you are gonna have a meaningful conversation. You're literally gonna start praying with each other. You're gonna build emotional intimacy that will pay off at times, not always, but at times, with sexual intimacy. Praying together, sending a note. You're gonna write a note, handwritten for heaven's sakes, that says, I love you because, and then you're gonna fill in the blank last week. You're just gonna shower them, building them up, making sure they know they are cared for. This is both ways. Send flowers, and then some of you are gonna try non-sexual touch. You're like, what is that? Non-sexual touch. You might rub their back. You might give them a foot rub. You might, on your way to the fridge tonight, you might just, you know, just give them one of these on their back, and they might go, whew, is he trying to get me something? And you're going, no, I'm just touching you. I just love you. And you're going to build into your spouse before the bedroom. Why? Because God-honoring sex is not just about a physical act. It's not. It's about taking care of each other, making sure that one another know that you are cared for, that you're loved, that emotionally you're safe, you're secure, and that your husband or your wife notices you for more than a physical act. God-honoring sex, friends. Starts well before the bedroom. Listen to how he goes on. He says this, your lips, they're like scarlet ribbon in verse three. Your mouth is inviting. Your cheeks are are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck, he says, oh, your neck fires me up. He says, your neck is as beautiful as the Tower of David. What in the world is that, you know? He's going, the way you stand is honorable. He says, you have confidence, is what he's saying. He's building her up emotionally. He says, jeweled with the shields of a thousand horses. So God-honoring sex, friends. If you want to do it God's way, and you have the best sex life possible, and I mean that, you're gonna take time to cultivate this emotional intimacy. You're gonna say, hey, I'm not just gonna dive into the bedroom. I'm gonna work hard during the day. I'm gonna make sure that my spouse knows that she's cared for. My spouse knows that he is loved, that he's cherished, and God-honoring sex will start before the bedroom. Number two, if you're taking notes, is God-honoring sex is, doesn't only start before the bedroom, it's also passionate. It's passionate. It's extremely passionate. It's, it's huge. It's becoming one together. Two becoming one. It's, it's intense. There's feelings. God-honoring sex in our story will go on to just go, man, the emotional stuff that goes along with the sexual desire is just flat-out passionate. He goes on to say, your breasts, in verse 5, are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. And I'm like, this guy has a breast complex. He can't figure out how he wants to describe them. Last week, he kind of describes them as climbing up a tree, grabbing fruit. This week, he's talking to them as baby deer. He's like, like, which one are they? You know, I'm not sure if they're, you know, climb the tree, go after it with intensity, grab hold of the fruit, eat it. I mean, that's literally the description that he gave last week. This week, he's like, they're like twin fawns. And you want to know what I think we can read into on this one? Is if you want passionate, then you need to know that your approach matters. If you're climbing a tree getting fruit, you better get up there quick so you don't fall down. If you're trying to approach baby deer, you better go in carefully. You better make sure that you're not gonna scare those deers off to the forest because then your whole night's ruined, okay? So you need to know that there's an approach and your approach, I don't know why I'm holding my hands like that. Your, your approach <laughs> matters, okay? It absolutely matters. And I don't know how you do that with talking about twin fawns. So, so on this approach thing, 
is, guys, we're going to work on it. I'm, I'm not kidding when I say there's going to be times where you need to know that your approach needs to be more than, come on, baby, let's get it on. You know? Where you're caring, you're loving, and you build in to your spouse in a God-honoring way. You build her up, and you tell her how much you love her and how much you care for her. Ladies, your job's way easier. You just make an approach anything. You know, it's like, just good. Remember, you can talk about the oven, and it'll work for us, and just do something and let us just go with it. We can turn anything into a sexual on-ramp, but your approach matters, and I wanted to make sure I get this next line right. The truth about us and this passionate stuff when it comes to sex is this. You are each other's only legitimate. You are each other's only legitimate way to find sexual fulfillment. When you're married, in God's eyes, you are each other's only legitimate way to find sexual fulfillment. And so it has to be passionate. God wants it to be passionate because he's designed sex and his plan to be between one man and one woman. And if there's not this expression of passionate lovemaking, then there's almost a hindrance to a relationship where you go, oh, we're missing out on a part of God's plan for us. And remembering, remembering that in a marriage relationship that you are each other's only legitimate way to express sexual excitement, express sexual passion, that's good news for us because then we can enter in going, you know what? This is something that I'm responsible for. This is something that God has given me the gift to be for my spouse. Now, ladies, let me just tell you another thing on this one. Do your best to fight from the sense of duty and fight for a sense of desire. Because there will be times that as, as you grow older together that you go, oh, this is just a duty that I perform. This is just something that I give. And, and at times maybe there's going to be there sacrificially loving the spouse that you have. But there's something so good when you pray and you ask God to, to give you desire, sexual passionate desire for your spouse that is God honoring. There's nothing better. Nothing better when I get a message from Carrie throughout the week and she just shows me some sort of love, kind of, you know, tells me how great she thinks I am, and I get to know she's, she's got desire for me, and it, and it moves us in a great way. Um, I, I know this is going to feel like, seriously, you're going to go here, but the truth is you can plan for passionate sex. You can plan this. Uh, for, for most couples, actually, and I heard this a long time ago from a mentor of mine, he says, at times you're going to need to schedule it. If you're running 100 miles an hour, Mach 3, you literally might need to schedule making sure that lovemaking, that passionate sex is on the calendar. Now, again, that might be a little awkward to put in your Google calendar, like passionate sex tonight. So... You might put Sunday fun day, you know, so it's just disguised. You're like, Sunday is fun day. You might put whenever Wednesday, you know, just like put it in there, however you want to disguise that we're going to schedule this thing for our marriage. And I'm telling you what, this is something that God would just go right on. You're making sure that each other's emotional needs are filled, sexual needs are filled, and you just listen to how this guy goes on. He says this, until the day breaks in verse six, until the day breaks, uh, until the shadows flee, I'm going to go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. What he's saying is, I want you not only for a few minutes, I want you all night. 
It's passionate. I don't, I don't want to just add this to my busy schedule. I want to make sure that you know that you're important. All day, till the shadows flee, I want to take care of you. I want to build you up. So God-honoring sex, it starts before the bedroom. It's passionate. And number three is God-honoring sex is built on absolute trust. God-honoring sex is built on absolute trust. Listen to how he goes on to talk to his spouse. He says this in verse seven. He says, you are altogether beautiful. He says, my darling, there is no flaw in you. No flaw in you. Um, Friends, this week when I was getting ready for this message, that one line impacted me more than I have been impacted by a thing of scripture in a long time. It's this guy telling his spouse, Um, you might see some things that aren't beautiful. When you look at the mirror and you're looking at yourself, you might not see um, beauty. You you might be able to see, we learned uh, week one that she feels insecure about her skin. She feels sunburned. She doesn't doesn't feel valued with her, her body image. But this man looks at her and he literally says, you're altogether beautiful. Every ounce of you is beautiful. He goes on to say this, there is not even a flaw in you. And what is he doing? He's making sure that as she stands before him, vulnerable, about to give herself to him, he says, I'm going to make sure that you know that I'm somebody you can trust yourself with. You can trust me. He says, you might see something that is out of place, you might see something that's not good, but what I see is perfection. What I see is God's beautiful gift to me, and I want to make sure that you know that you can trust me, that there's nothing I'm going to do to abuse this. The truth is, today in our society, we all are bombarded with these body images, these messages that say, you're not thin enough, you don't have long enough hair. We're all susceptible to this. Women, as they grow older, there might be stretch marks or baby weight. Guys, we might lose our hair, have a tire around the middle section, and the truth is, when we stand before our spouse, it should be the safest place. The safest place that we can go. Completely vulnerable with one another because there is absolute trust. God honoring sex is built on absolute trust. I wrote these two notes down when it comes to trust. Trust never makes a negative comment about their spouse's body. That is off limits. Trust never does that. Trust never pokes fun, it never kids around, it never says anything to degrade, make fun of, make their spouse feel shamed. Trust, and let me hear this, trust never makes a negative comment about their spouse's body. It never does. This guy would have known that's way out of bounds. Way out of bounds. The other thing that trust does, in a more light, you know, positive spin, is trust, trust loves away all insecurities. That's what trust does. As you can stand before somebody that you can completely trust in, that you're about to give yourself to, that trust literally loves away the spouse's insecurities. You can almost see this woman, and just picture yourself there, not too much, but just picture yourself there. And this woman standing before this man, maybe a little nervous, not sure that she's confident in herself. More than likely, the guy's feeling the same way. And as he tells her, almost kind of like jaw dropped, 
oh my goodness, you are so beautiful. There's not even a flaw in you. You're perfect. You can almost imagine her sense of value, her confidence, her feeling like God has just blessed her with a gift in this man. And I'm telling you what, that's what trust does. Trust loves away insecurities. And if you want to have God-honoring sex, then what you're going to do is you're going to commit to this day forward, never saying a negative word about your spouse's body when it comes to God-honoring sex. The fourth thing that we're going to look at and really spend the the last few minutes diving in on is God-honoring sex is holy. Uh, It's holy. And and some of you, again, you're like scratching your heads. You're like, I don't even know about this God stuff at all. And you're trying to tell me that sex is holy? I mean, others of you are like, that's good news. Yes, yes. Like, I'm using that later. Hey, it's holy, baby. Let's go. You know, like, you're going to try and pitch this. But God-honoring sex is holy. Now, what do I mean by holy? Holy literally means to be set apart. It literally means to be different, to be pure. God-honoring sex is holy. It's something that God has given us, and he's asked us to set it apart, almost give it a higher standard than we give other things. God-honoring sex is meant to be holy. Holy. Listen to what he says to his bride. He says this in verse 12. He says, you're a garden locked up. He says, my sister, my bride, you are a spring that's enclosed. You're a sealed fountain. Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates and every other lovely spice. You want to know what he's saying, quite frankly? He's saying, you're a virgin. He says, you were closed up. And he's, he's saying to this woman, he says, no way. You've saved yourself for me. You've set yourself apart to be holy for me alone. You've you've decided long ago that as men came and and knocked on your door, that you said, you know, I'm saving this gift for my spouse someday. He said, you've set yourself apart to be holy, to give yourself to me as a gift. And he's going, no way. And I know some of us in this room are going, that sounds so weird. Save yourself for marriage? Are you kidding me? What decade do you live in? And the truth is, this is exactly what God set up God-honoring sex to be. For one man and one woman, that they give each other their bodies as this commitment to one another and when, when one couple or one partner and the other partner say, you know what, I'm gonna fight off temptation my whole life so I can give you this gift. What they're saying is, I'm gonna treat this thing called sex in a God-honoring way. I'm gonna set it apart as holy. Now I know that a lot of us are maybe going like, wow. Maybe that's the first time you've heard that. And maybe some of you are hearing and going, man, I've... I mean, that's really just hard for me to wrap my mind around. Why would I do that? I mean, why in the world would would this one thing be set apart as holy to God? Seriously. Well, to help us kind of get a grasp on these two things, I want to share with you two words that really maybe will paint a better picture for you. you. One is contract. The other one is covenant. Contract, covenant. When you get married, just so you know, none of us sign a contract. None of us do that. None of us are like, hey, sign the contract. <laughs> if anything goes wrong, then I'm out. What we all do is before God and with the spouse that you're standing at the altar with or in the courthouse, you're saying, hey, God, I'm, 
I'm committing to a covenant. Covenant. Not a contract, but a covenant. When you get married, you have a covenant. It's a spiritually binding agreement where you say, before God, with you, before these people, I'm committing myself to you. Covenants say these type of words. They say, until death do us part. That's what a covenant says. Covenants say things like this. It doesn't matter how sick you get in sickness and in health. I'm committed to you. Covenants say things like this. It's for richer or for poorer. It doesn't matter. Where we live, doesn't matter how much money we make. I'm committed to you. Covenants say I keep myself only for you. Setting us apart is different. That's what a covenant says. Contracts get signed and they say things like this. I'm committed as long as things are easy. I'm committed until things get hard. I'm committed until I lose this feeling of infatuation. There's a massive difference, I think all of us know, between a covenant and a contract. Tony, why are you making this point? I'm making this point to tell you in the Bible, in the pages of scripture, Old Testament and New, we hear of this word covenant. In the Old Testament, you would, you would hear about a covenant that when people had sinned, they would sacrifice a bull or an animal, and there would be a shedding of blood. And it was a covenant between them and God saying that I want to be set apart again. I want to go your way. Now, that was the Old Testament. Now we're in the New Testament. I know this is like, whoa, this is deep. But the New Testament, here's what happened. Jesus came and shed his blood for us because we're sinners, because we have junk in our life. He said, I'll come on your behalf. You no longer have to sacrifice bulls and animals. I'm going to give myself as a sacrifice for you. I'm going to let my blood, I'm going to take my body and give it as a sacrifice for your life. So here's what happens. Jesus in the scripture says, a marriage is between a man and a woman. And they'll come together and they're going to be united as one. And literally God's intent was for a virgin woman and a virgin man to come together and like the scriptures that we just read, that a seal would be broken and that a shedding of blood would happen on their wedding night. And what was literally happening was a covenant was being made before them and God saying we are committed no longer two, but one no longer separated, but we're together. That's why that verse was literally put in the Bible. He is telling her, you've saved yourself from me. Are you serious? You've set yourself apart for me? No way. I'm gonna make a covenant between you. There's gonna be something that happens that symbolizes us coming together. And every time they come together from that point on, it's renewing their covenant vows to one another. When they come together sexually, it's so much more than just a physical act. It's an act that is holy. Because what you're doing is you're saying that spouse that I committed to, that spouse when I entered into a relationship with, we made a covenant before God. 
And from this day forward, whenever we come together, we are symbolically saying again, we're each other's. We're meant for one another. God has blessed us with a gift. Now here's what I know is potentially happening in a few of us in the room. Is maybe you're saying, I didn't get to experience that. Maybe your virginity was taken from you. And maybe others of you, you gave it away casually. And the truth is, even as I was sharing just kind of the, what that meant, you're going, oh, can I experience God's blessing? Can I have what I have now be holy? Is there any hope for me moving forward? And I would just be the first one, and I hope the only message you ever hear is with Jesus, there is hope. With Jesus, there's healing. With Jesus, there's a promise of a future that is so beautiful, even in this area of sex. Because the truth is that you can't become holy on your own. And the good news is that anything Jesus touches, he turns holy. Anything that he blesses, anything that he comes into a relationship, he gives his sacrifice for, forgiveness is there, and it can be made new. The scriptures literally say this, that with Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. Your sin can be separated as far as the east is from the west. And so when you receive Jesus as your savior, when you take a step over the faith line and you move from your sin and your junk and you holding on to the very things that you've held on to, hopefully earning you something with God, and you learn that it's only with Jesus that you can find forgiveness, then you can then enter into a holy relationship with God and he can bless your relationship moving forward. So maybe today, you're here and you're going, I need that. I need that. Maybe for some of you in the room, you're going, yeah, I've screwed this area up in my life. I just remind you, there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation. The truth is, in the scripture, it says there's none for those who are in Christ. When you have Christ, there's hope, there's healing, and there's forgiveness. And so maybe you're here today and you're going, I need that to be my story. I want to have God honoring sex, one that my heavenly Father is pleased with, one that the significant other that I'm in relationship with gets blessed by. So I want to pray for you today and ask God to do something special in our hearts moving forward. God, thank you so much for today. Thanks for a chance to have a conversation about a sensitive topic like this because it's right there in the scripture. And we get to learn from this husband and wife as they navigate their honeymoon experience. But God, the truth is for a lot of us in the room, there's hurt and there's pain in this area. And I want to ask that in a really special way, in a really real way, that today we would receive hope, healing, and forgiveness in this topic. God, if there's been sexual addictions in the past, or maybe even present, God, that you would do something in us, that we would feel a call from you to give our lives to you, 
to ask for forgiveness and to move forward. Friends, if that's you and you're going, I want to turn a page in my life specifically around this area of sexuality, you can pray this prayer. You can say, Jesus, here I am. Today I want to ask that you forgive me of my past. Today I want to ask that you forgive me of the current sin that I'm in. God, I want to receive your forgiveness and I want to receive your hope. God, I want to ask you to do something special in me. Pray this in your name. Amen.